Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, Kerry. I'm so excited to have you back again. If anyone missed our first part of this two-part series, we'll have some details in the show notes about how you get back to that first part so that you can hear a bit about Kerry's background and a bit of an outline of the first company she purchased and how that process worked for her when she was forced to consider exit right from the beginning. But today with Kerry, we're going to be looking at the types of exit options available and the pros and cons of each. So welcome back, Kerry. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for having me back. Great. Our pleasure. Okay, so let's talk about these types of exit options that are available. So in your book, The Million Dollar Payday, you set out a number of these options. And I just thought it'd be useful for us to go through these options in not a lot of detail, but maybe just summary form, just so that our readers can get a perspective on what your thoughts are about the advantages and disadvantages of the types of exit options that are available to them as they're running a business or looking to exit their business. Absolutely. So I think if I, I'll just sort of run through it in a bit of a list format, first of sure. all, in in terms of the different sort of channels, if you like, that you could have a look at. And that would be, I mean, obviously, number one could be selling to employees, which you could, I described as the way that I um, bought my book in terms of a management buyout or a leveraged buyout in terms of that sort of key management. But then you could also sell to your employees in general, which could involve putting in place um, an employee share scheme in a whole range of different ways. So that that's a little more complex. Uh, obviously, there's family um, and you could, you know, uh, have a, uh, you could make a gift or have it so that it, the business actually pays you a bit of an annuity as time goes on. So you could also have co-owners uh, who buy your business out. That could be a way of e- for you being able to exit, at least release some of your business, some of your um, your uh, the value and equity that you have in the business. Obviously, third party is another way of doing it, selling off to a third party. Um, an IPO, but very few business get to uh, an IPO to initial public offering. Obviously, that's a very uh, highly profitable business that you would need to be able to get yourself to that that stage. Um, there's different ways of doing that through reverse listings and so forth, but I'm not I'm not going to spend any time on that. I mean, obviously, a, another valid channel is to liquidate. You know, if mm. the if the value of the business and the if you have assets in the business machinery and so forth, and you can liquidate those. Um, and that's a very valid uh, way And in terms of being orderly. I'm not, you know, we're not talking about foreclosing or anything like that, but we're saying just an orderly liquidation is definitely a valid way of considering it. Um, and maybe, you know, restructuring, selling uh, off perhaps some minority stakes or maybe it's private equity or you could do some refinancing, you know. That, so those that's a basic list, if you like, of sort of the different ways and different channels that you could go. So, so let's work through them and, and then, you know, I, I think have a quick look at the pros and cons of each of sure. these alternatives. 
Sure. Maybe let's take a look at number one being the transfer of ownership, say, to to family members. Mm. And um, because so many of our businesses in Australia are family businesses, I guess, and, you know, this is the statistic that's around the world. And, um, you know, there was a piece in the... um, uh, the Fairfax newspapers not so long ago, back in September, were from the Family Business Association, where they talked about uh, the kids are set. The headline was the kids are set for a three point five trillion dollar handover, <laughs> as you know, transferring the reins of family businesses to the next generation. So, I mean, this is this is definitely something that is uh, pretty much top of mind. I'd say for a lot of family businesses. So, yeah, so- and, uh, look, I must say on on that note, I, I have actually seen, I feel, a movement in the years towards, I, I'm just seeing a lot less of this transition to family members than I had been in the past. And, and I just wonder whether there is a, you know, a trend that might be going on at the moment where it may be a plan of the business owner for, for this to happen, but the kids aren't so excited with the plan <laughs> as time goes on. <laughs> Correct, absolutely. And I think there's, um, you know, there's a whole other discussion around that in terms of the of the uh, challenges of mm. being, a, you know, in, in families in particular. And if it hasn't been something that's been really openly discussed f- uh, for quite a number of years and worked on, then it can be uh, fraught with danger. You know, um, and and if there's assumptions going on that that don't come out, that get that aren't addressed to be able to find out what's behind them, then you are you are definitely in dangerous territory. And yes, look, even in family businesses, that selling to a third party should always be an option that's on the table, no matter what, really, um, because you never know when, um, as Kerry Packer did when he sold Channel 9 to Alan Bond, you know, you never know when the Alan Bond might come along in your lifetime. So, have, yeah. so be ready, you know. So even good, strong, viable businesses, if they're not managed for sale, are often you won't get really what it's worth. So you have to really manage a business for sale and that applies to a uh, whether no matter what if it's a fa- even if it's a family business it should always be managed as if it's going to be able to be sold to a third party because mm. that's how you create the most value in it. Mm. So look yeah so the advantages So I think oh sorry go, sorry, you go, go ahead. No no you no. go ahead with the advantages. Okay. <laughs> yeah so I think you know if, you, if that's like the advantages are definitely that you're going to be keeping the business and the family together. I mean it's a, obviously yeah, that's an obvious one. You also should be able to provide financially for any sort of younger family members who are unable to earn a similar income from other work outside the family business. And that does happen. You could stay involved yourself, you know, in the business at a much more relaxed level. And you might be able to orchestrate how much you need or want for the business rather than be told how much you will get. You know, so mm. when you're selling to another family member, transferring to another family member. But then, of course, the, the you know, there are disadvantages and, you know, obviously you could have dissension um, with anxiety perhaps about unequal treatment among siblings if, you know, if you're faced with that. Also, the notion of actually treating all of the children equally could be very difficult. Mm. Uh, inevitably, one child will probably run or own the business at, you know, at the perceived expense of the others. Usually, the family can't afford to meet a large cash payout. So, selling um, 
the selling family member would probably have to live with payment over time. And of course, any associated risk if the business isn't run, continued to run profitably. And this is one of the, the areas where I see key issues occurring, apart from, as I said before, the, um, the mere fact that, you, you know, the concept of transferring to family members may be in someone's head and not in others, but, but the issue of not having the money for, for the purchase effectively requiring payment over time. And then, you, you know, the issues that can be involved with, parents then relinquishing control over the business whilst they're still owed money by the business. You know, I, I think that in my experience can be an issue that carries on. Absolutely right. And it, it certainly can create some tension and it also can really affect the business, you know, mm. and so it ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, the, the business gets run down because of all the other extraneous issues that are actually in there. And and the the owner doesn't relinquish control. They really still have to keep their finger on the pulse or still find the need to keep their finger on the pulse, which again can stifle future growth, you know, because the the perhaps the the successor has all these great ideas, but mum or dad, whoever the the majority owner might be, uh, is sort of not really uh, sharing the same growth mindset. Yeah. So they're, they're worrying about what comes in, you know, to be able to support their continued lifestyle perhaps. Mm-hmm. But look, these are things, if, if as a family, you really can, if you need to address these things early on, not leave them to the last minute. So, I mean, just as a, an aside, an example, um, I have uh, with a client whose dad and son, they've worked, son's only worked in the business for five years. He's in his 30s though. Dad's had a health uh, scare and uh, he thinks, well, I've now got to start thinking about really moving on from the business, even though I might stay on for at least another five or six years. Mm. Uh, and dad thinks, uh, dad's accountant thinks the business is worth, um, let's just pull a number, two million. Um Son's accountant thinks the business is worth one million. Oh no! <laughs> so you know, even though they get along, and they really do, they get along really well together. Plus, we've got um, wives as well involved. Yes, um, yeah. You know, and so we so that's the big. So there's a discussion that must happen around that, and mm. a recognition that well, how how can we a come together on what we believe is the right value for the business and B, how can we afford to pay you out? You know, yeah. what, sort of, what sort of plan can we put in place to be able to pay you out and support you? So, mm. yes, if, look, family businesses have all those extra issues to really deal with. Um, and, I mean, that even happens with business partners too, whether mm. they're family or not. So, yes. But, look, in terms of um, transferring ownership to family members, it's really important to start talking about it early on and making sure that you do have the right person in place, you know, to be able to to do that uh, and address the other attendant um, uh, potential conflicts that might arise, you know, in the future. Yeah. 
So in the next, perhaps the next one, it could be to sell to other shareholders. Um, it's not necessarily an option that every business owner has, and it may be that you're the sole shareholder. So uh, in many respects, that's a good thing <laughs> because <laughs> because you can make the decisions, you know. So, um, but I do find too, in in um, particularly in private businesses, especially smaller private businesses, that there might what the owner might perceive themselves to be the only shareholder, but they have their partner, it's their spouse in the business as well. So mm. they, you know, they do have to think about this, depends on the structure. But obviously, if you, if you do have other shareholders in the business, you could in fact sell the business to perhaps to one of the other shareholders. So uh, that that's a good thing because the business then would stay in the extended family. And if you've been well prepared and you've set it up with a buy-sell agreement, which sets out what's going to happen uh, if one or more shareholders want to leave the business, and then it it's really makes it a lot easier. Mm. I can't tell you how often, and I'm sure you've seen yeah. this too, Joanna. <laughs> I can't tell you how often I've worked, come into a business and, you know, there's two or three shareholders and they haven't set up a buy-sell agreement. Oh, boy. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and look, happens. and I think the issue here that I see time and time again is that um, trying to work out what the terms would be on sale feels very difficult at the beginning. But I tell you what, it's can often be a hell of a lot more difficult if you don't do it at the beginning. You know, if you're leaving those decisions, it doesn't get easier to work out um, value and equi equity and, and equitable distribution and how it's going to work and how the rights will work. Um, it just gets harder if you don't do it up front is my it's experience. Oh, totally. I couldn't agree with you more. And it could actually make for a, a much lengthened process. You yeah. know, it can be very protracted and you're, you're totally distracted, you know, from the business yeah. while all this is taking place. So, yeah. um, certainly, you know, a very, like a well-prepared shareholders agreement can easily facilitate the transfer process. So, it's, you know, there are definitely definite advantages to be able to sell to a fellow shareholder, uh, not the least of which as well is the fact that you know, the process of due diligence is very much reduced because, um, you know, they know what the business is about. So, little or no disruption to the business. Yeah. Um, we've talked already about, uh, you know, one of the disadvantages, if you, if you don't actually have a shareholders agreement in place, then it, um, it, it could be a very difficult negotiation and it might force you to take a price that's actually not really, ref, you know, reflective of the company's fair market value. So, Anyone listening who doesn't already have an agreement, speak to Joanna, get in touch and get something going. <laughs> Thanks, Kerry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then, again, one of the disadvantages could be, of course, that you've, you're locked into selling your shares only to, say, a fellow shareholder and it could create a limited market and, mm. you know, thereby depress the company's value. But, again, I'm sure if you've used uh, Joanna's team, they'll have addressed that in mm allowing other opportunities as well yep. but um you know you might not necessarily get the maximum price but sometimes there's a trade-off between getting a slightly higher price and the actual process so you, you're discounting perhaps for that reason so you know that's just something else to consider also too it it might just depend on how it how it can be funded you know that's the other thing so again it might require you might be 
as the selling shareholder, you might have to take, um, you know, a note, as they say, and, you know, have some of the money still in the business so that the business can pay you off over time. So that mm. could be a disadvantage to you, you know, when considering that sort of arrangement. Um so then the next one we, we talked about uh, and I described in in our previous podcast about selling to management or key employees in the form of a management buyout or leverage buyout and you know you can either sell you know all of it or part of the business that way um, and perhaps over time it, it could come into it again an advantage is of course it stays in the extended family they know the business so it does make that transfer process a lot easier um, and you don't have to go out and and uh, you know uh, really do a, on a roadshow to try and actually sell it off to uh, um, another third party. So there's less risk usually in that sort of situation because the management's not disrupted and they can continue to carry on the way that they've always done. So um, it makes it for a very smooth uh, transition and sort of very little disruption. Mm. Also, that sort of partnership with an equity investor can provide additional growth capital that you might not otherwise have for the company. So, um, you may not necessarily be exiting totally, but you're just exiting uh, a portion. You're selling a portion of the business. Um, so, you know, that's a few of the advantages. Uh, in terms of disadvantages, it could be that a lender might need everybody, you know, to contribute a certain percentage in equity and maybe that could be a problem if you're talking about selling off a, um, a portion. Um, if, in fact, the uh, management team needs other external financial help to be able to actually fund the acquisition, then that, again, could result in certain conflicts. So, and again, if the company doesn't have perhaps uh, sufficient assets to be able to leverage uh, any finance that might be required, then that could create an issue. And I did talk about it before in terms of the owner may have to leave some equity in the business and might have to... Uh, it's almost in a form of vendor finance, if you like, leave money in the business to be able to be paid off over time, So, mm. which is always a risk. Mm. So. And in this sort of option, if you're still leaving money in the business, I guess one, one of the benefits of this sort of approach is that it gives a way for you to get your key employees more invested in the business in terms of, you know, and, and, and I know we're about to talk about employee share schemes or, or or, um, ownership plans, which are a different version of this um, management or employee buyout. But obviously, if there's an option that your employees can see that they might be able to be working to into the future in terms of an equity arrangement, even if that's them buying the equity, you know, sometimes that can really help retention of um, high quality staff. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think it's definitely something well worth considering. And considering and taking into account the uh, the future impacts that that will have as well. So definitely a way of uh, what I, I would call it a golden handcuff, mm. you know, that mm. keeps, uh, keeps key employees involved and uh, really looking forward to dividends as they come down the track and mm. to be able to just to have more of an interest and be educated more from that perspective as well to understand what it's really like to be a business owner. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay, great. So that's the management buyout or employee buyout. But then 
slight variation on that, I guess, is the employee share schemes or the share ownership plans. Sure. Which can have many different forms. They certainly can. And I would say that uh, you really would need to be of a, a certain, you know, certain size to be able to consider taking this on because uh, it, it is um, quite a, a long-term approach and there are many issues to consider. And um, in my book, I do give you a few sort of uh, clues, if you like, as to uh, some of the advantages and disadvantages. So, so that, you know, obviously advantages are that it does stay in the extended family because you've got your employees involved. Mm. And it is an, it is an employee benefit. You've, you Clearly, you need to be making good profits to be able to make this attractive to for employees to even want to have anything to do with the business. And with a bit of luck, you will be able to make them think like owners rather than just employees. If no, I say just, but rather than employees, because mm-hmm. there is a there is a different psyche involved in that. Certainly, from a you know taxation perspective, there are benefits that you'd need to have a look at. Uh, the way our tax system changes, though, um, you know they change fairly regularly, so mm-hmm. you have to keep on top of it, and. There are certain loan plans that can be put in place for employees if you make loans to for the employees to actually purchase the shares. So, you know, those are things that really would need going into in some detail with uh, expertise that, that, you know, really understands what you're up for in, mm. if you're going to implement an employee uh, share scheme. And, and I think, you know, in relation to employee share schemes, and, and I think, you know, a base, the, the real difference between this and the last element we were talking about, about a management buyout or key employee buyout, is that um, the employee share schemes generally a type of arrangement that is more widespread throughout an organisation rather than, say, the management or key employee buyout. But for the employee share schemes, one of the things that, you know, business owners have to um, have in their mind is, you know, how are you going to deal with situations of when employees leave? Because, you know, sometimes in employee share schemes, they they might be um, given to employees as as a bonus, uh, for example. Um, You know, sometimes they might be purchased, sometimes not. But there's always this issue, you know, what if the employees leave? So they're the sorts of things that I guess you need to think through. You certainly do. And also, I mean, the same thing applies to even if you have equity partners who are shareholders in the business, what happens mm. if they do leave the business? So, you you know, you do really need to consider this, uh, the impact of anything like that and what your policy is if if that occurs. So, um, and I've, I've recommended uh, in my Million Dollar Payday book, I've actually recommended another reading, which is from Jack Stack, who wrote uh, a book called The Great Game of Business, which he's since updated and uh, 35 years after implementing his employee share plan, which he put in place to grow the business, he is still in the business. And I know from uh, his late, his sort of updated book and the reading, reading that, that um, one of the issues he faced was how was the business actually going to fund the retiring employees? Because the effect mm. that the ESOP had with his his business was to have people stay on for years and years and years and it became a great way for them to actually innovate and spin off lots of other businesses uh, 
be, uh, that employees had even had thought about and they were able to fund internally, as it turned out. So great read, really well worth reading. But then, of course, the issue that arose later on was, well, hang on a second. Now we have all these employees who've been here for so many years and the value of the shares in the ESOP have gone up substantially. How are we going to fund their payouts from internally within cash flow of the business? So yeah. required a lot of uh, a lot of consideration and for them restructuring around how to do that as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's it's definitely an option but it's certainly quite a complex one mm. yeah let's take a short break when we get back Kerry continues through her list of business exit options starting with the number one choice for business owners right now that is selling to a third-party buyer and that can mean either selling to a competitor or a customer, or a supplier, or whatever. Then, of course, we'll identify three more types of exit channels for business owners in order to complete our list of eight. And that's next. I'm Joanna Oki, and you're listening to The Deal Room Podcast, brought to you by Aspect Legal. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Welcome back. Earlier, Kerry talked about the first four types of exit options that business owners can consider. These were number one, transfer of ownership to family owners. Number two, selling to your other shareholders. Number three, selling to management or key staff. And number four, selling to employees via share schemes. Now, let's continue our conversation with Kerry and talk about four more types of business exit options, the pros and cons for each type, and some tips about what you ought to consider for each one. And so I I think our next item on the list is sell to a third party. And look, I I think this is quite fascinating that quite often business owners will think, um, or anyone really, when you talk about what are our exit options, they'll have sell to a third party as number one on their list. Yes. (laughs) And here we are at number five. That's right. (laughs) And and tell me about the order here. Being number five, is is it because you're challenging business owners um, in terms of thinking about what other options there are? Or do you think that it's the... um, you know, it's the thing that you should think of after you've thought of each of these other options first. I think I'd like to lay claim to that, that there's some real process in the one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten, um, and there is to some extent. Uh, but but yeah, look, I think 
first and foremost, family businesses are the number one business. You know, that's the structure of so many businesses now. Basically, mm-hmm. the number one structure for small to medium enterprises has been that they're family businesses. So, obviously, you're going to, to think about it, if you like. That's why I went to number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, selling to a third party can always be top of the list regardless. But because most of our businesses are, you know, the greatest majority of the businesses are family businesses. So, um, thinking about those uh those options at the beginning is well worthwhile, notwithstanding that even for family businesses, selling to a third party is definitely one of those options that should always be on the table regardless. You know, so, um, so yeah, so look, if we look at that in, uh, in terms of a channel and an exit option that you can take, it's clearly important that you really have done everything you possibly can to increase the value of the business. So you make sure that you've got uh, several years of, you know, financials that show really good profits and growth. If you've been running your business as a um, as an income stream where you've been – have what might be termed as private expenditure going through your business, then make sure you've restructured for a lot, you know, for many years to make sure that that has been sorted. Cleaned uh, up so, the accounts before. Correct, <laughs> correct, correct. Even though people say, oh, well, what are the ad backs and all this sort of thing, you don't, you don't want to present financials that have got um, questionable numbers in there. It need, they need to be really nice and clean. So, mm. um so, but look, selling to a third party is is you know finding just finding a buyer. So they could be a competitor, they could be a customer, they could be a supplier. Uh, you know, there there um, there could be. So people, you know, if you call it a strategic buyer, um, I can give you an example. A couple of years ago, with a client in Sydney who um, they were in the uh, pest control business. Now, the pest control industry went through what's known as a roll-up. So they were able to sell their little business, which was a very successful business that they'd been running for 15 years. They got 10 times multiple. So they actually sold the business for the revenue of the business because Mm. the big company, you know, it's a multinational saw the opportunity to, and they weren't the only one, they went around buying up a whole range of small businesses to be able to, exponentially improve the market share that they had. So they were not necessarily looking to buy they to buy the infrastructure of that business. They rolled it up into their own and so they really what they really wanted was the client base. Mm. You know, so it represented uh, it represented a great deal to them. Uh, they that business was really well run. You know, they had everything at their fingertips and were uh, a stellar. They mm. were a standout in their class. There's no doubt about it. So you know, everybody would love to go for a ten times multiple, but um, it's not necessarily realistic. But if you manage to be find yourself in a market where there is that sort of acquisition process going on, and you'll know in your own, you know, in your own industry, then mm. there's a there's an opportunity to be able to sell for probably maximum value, mm. you know, to mm. um, to to a strategic buyer. Um, you know, another possibility could be that uh, there's a uh, private equity group, depending on the size of your business and what the future uh, growth. Uh, trajectory could be or the type of technology that you may have. Um, 
in my book, I actually I, I tell the story of Skybridge, which is a fabulous, uh, what was initially a very small business that they were able to sell to a private equity group uh, for multi, multi millions, you know, um, and the owner was able to exit successfully uh, and th- they didn't, that was almost walk in, walk out where they didn't actually want him necessarily involved, although he has retained a small 10% shareholding, which I um, I know he said to me, I'm hoping they're going to turn my 10% into what I've already got for the the other 90%. (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, so that's another option, you know, as a third-party private equity group. And I think that that part of the book, I think, is um, it might be particularly useful for business owners who haven't had a lot of exposure in this area to read because private equity, you you know, I I think some of the concepts that you talk about in that chapter are maybe um, elements that um, business owners may not often be exposed to. So so I think that um, particular component of, of this chapter is useful for business owners that are listening to um, yeah. to have a bit of a read of and um, get across the op- options and opportunities um, Correct. In, in that area. Correct. Correct. That's right. So, so look, in, in terms of advantages, if you're selling to a third party, obviously usually here the, um, the main – uh, advantage, of course, is that you're going to receive the majority of the purchase price in cash at the time of closing the sale. Um, and although often some is held back, and it can be, you know, subject to performance under any sort of new ownership, but but that that's hopefully one of the advantages that you can negotiate in the first place. So. Um, and usually, because natural market forces, you're going to get a higher valuation than you perhaps might be you know, if you were selling internally to family or management. Um, And potentially it is the only exit option that gives you access to buyers with a, you know, a strategic or synergistic motive, as I spoke of before with the the little pest control business. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that leads, you know, obviously leads to a sale at a premium, you know, to what might normally be fair market value. You'll get a little bit more. But Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the disadvantages, you might have to stay on for a while. So in my case, I had to stay on for two years and that, you know, is not an easy situation when you've been calling the shots and then all of a sudden you're an employee, you're now an employee. Mm. So, um, you know, uh, and with its attendant reporting requirements and everything else and that can often be difficult. So, um, And I think business owners often underestimate um, that that process as well and underestimate, forget what it feels like to work from someone else, forget what it feels like not to be the boss, you know, calling the calling the shots. So, yeah, absolutely right. Know, that is important to bear in mind. It is. It's very important. Of course, the other thing could be that you might have to still leave some money in the business uh, and that, you know, a certain portion of it is going to be, you're actually going to be, earning it out. So it's an earn out, you know, so over over a period of time. So um, if you haven't approached that in the right way, then you are potentially leaving some of that, you know, in there as a risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it could be that, say, 20%, you know, gets left in um, and you have certain performance requirements over which you now have no control. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, these are these are some of the disadvantages anyway. Mm. So, 
And you know, another way of um, another way of looking at exit is, in fact, to refinance or recapitalise the business. And uh, one of the areas that I really um, like to highlight for people is that most small to medium businesses don't look very much at their capital strategy, and that's something to put on the uh, make a note about and put down because if you do want to grow your business recapitalizing means finding ways to fund uh, fund the company's balance sheet through um, being able to grow the business so you could leverage your assets if you like you might have some sort of uh, debt arrangement that you want to that can provide some partial liquidity for you, but you really are looking at a growth strategy as well. That, but that's for you. You're exiting and getting some of your capital out um, in order to continue to grow the business. Really, that's that's a way to look at that from a really positive perspective. Uh, so, I mean, you can have the same type of arrangement with equity investors, but um, you can uh, maybe. That's a way of cashing out, you know, some of your shares by by having sort of external equity investors as well. So the advantages you can maintain your equity interest in the company and you can participate in its future growth. Um, so you you will get a multiple even of what you've still got left in the business. So you can take some of your money off the table. That's the most important thing. Um, and I think a, a really good example of this is one that. Um, I'm sure people, everyone listening to this will relate to, and that's Janine Alice at Boost Juice. Mm. I think the numbers now, she actually has only 28% of the company now. Um, so she was able to sell her, um, she took some money off the table with, with a private equity firm actually coming into the business, and she's done that twice now. Um, she's sold down her shareholding. So, mm. um so refinancing, recapitalising the business with external equity—that's that's—that uh, is definitely an advantage, um, and uh, you can remain ac- actively involved, you know, in in the management and the growth of the company. So, mm-hmm. um, unlike um, having to sit there and and just have an earn out where you are uh, not in control and uh, yet expected to to reach certain milestones. And, so, and as you said, you know, I, I think in the previous podcast we had, perhaps a lot of this also comes back to, you know, what what um, other outcomes that you're looking um, to achieve? You know, is it correct. that you're just looking to um, cash in to some degree or is it you're looking to create a lifestyle opening? <laughs> correct. Exactly. So, I mean, that's that's a um, a valid exit option is actually having a lifestyle business. So mm. you do maintain your uh, a reasonable percentage of equity in the business, um, but and it and it continues to maintain a lifestyle for you. Absolutely valid mm-hmm. way of being able to exit the business. So, um, I guess perhaps one of the disadvantages with this sort of type of refinancing or recapitalization if if it's in fact debt that's used to create liquidity that you know the increased um, the increased leverage or debt burden might actually af- uh, affect the company's performance and it might make it a little more risky so that's certainly one of the disadvantages um, you might have to give a personal guarantee as well um, mm. to accomplish what you want to achieve but you know that that certainly exposes you to uh, risk and you know maybe 
the lender might not live up to their end of the bargain if it actually involves some sort of participation in the business. And so, you know, that puts you under a lot of pressure that you didn't really need to have. So anyway, there's, you know, there's, it's definitely a viable way of being able to take some money off the table, you mm. know, um, to be able to, to sell down your equity, cash in a little bit of your equity. Um I mean, we mentioned as well before going public. So clearly, you require a certain to be a, of a certain uh, level of profitability before you can even consider going public. Uh, and you know, obviously, that helps you. Will definitely give you additional capital. It's a very, it's an expensive process to go through, uh, but it, it certainly creates um, liquidity for you and certainly key managers and employees. There's, uh, you'll have certainly have a higher profile, you know, than private firms, and um, it, you know, it's a way of being able to offer your employees some shares that can be liquid. Although depending on the size of the business, that also can have. Uh, some hooks on it as well. Uh, valuation multiples for public companies are significantly higher generally than multiples paid for um, similar private companies. And essentially, that's that's it, isn't it? There, there lies the reason why businesses, you, you know, think um, think about at all about this concept of um, maybe an IPO. But I think it's really important that we focus on the time and and energy that's that's involved. But there's big potential payoffs at the end for that. Oh, definitely, absolutely, definitely. And you know, we read in we read in the press and online all the time the stories about those that have gone public uh, that are successful and the odd occasional one that isn't successful. Yes. But, you know, that if you're of a certain size, that is the ultimate If you're in terms of being able to take some money off the table and create liquidity around your equity in the business. It's, it's uh, definitely worth considering, but you do really do need to be doing – 10 to 40 million, you know, uh, and be able to be churning at least 3 million. I think it's 3 to $5 million on the bottom line, you know. Mm, so mm. Uh, it's certainly not an option that's available to a lot of private businesses. Um, and so, then finally here, I guess, is number eight, the, <laughs> the sad, sorry, <laughs> liquidate the business. But as you say, and I think earlier you, you had a positive spin on it, you know, it might be a way for organisations to take the assets, you know, liquidate the assets that are sitting there in the business. And it's a reality, isn't it? You know, totally. um, of all the number of businesses that, you know, are coming up for sale, as we've talked about in earlier episodes, Episodes in the next um, decade, there will be a um, large portion of businesses that will have to go with this option. There will be, and um, it you know closing the doors is an option. That's exactly what it is. If you if you are in a business that has physical assets that can be liquidated and the value of those physical assets is greater than the amount of profit that you're making, then obviously liquidating the assets is the best way to go because you're not going to get uh, as much for the business as to try to sell it as a going concern as you would for, say, liquidating the the assets if it's a 
you know, it could be commercial buildings. I mean, it could be equipment. It could be um, a whole range of physical assets in particular that will be worth more to you than trying to actually sell the business. Mm. So an orderly liquidation is a very, very viable exit option. And uh, you just need to, as I said, the emphasis is on the word orderly okay yeah because yeah. you know you still do have to go through a process it's not just simply a case of just shutting the doors and putting a for sale sign up on the you know assets and for, for many business owners I think thinking about the, this list of the options of um, how they can exit of course a, a lot of business owners feel that um, their business is um, is a large asset you know, a, a large value asset for, for them in their asset pool. But some business owners take money out of the business on the way and, you know, for them perhaps the concept of liquidating the business, you know, the business has had its usefulness during its life cycle in terms of the income and lifestyle that it's been able to help the business owner generate during that period of time. So, for for that business owner, perhaps this option isn't such a bad option if indeed they don't um, they can't see how or they don't want to put in the effort to transfer it into something that is um, of value or saleable to a third party or any of these other options that we're talking about because all of these other options that we're talking about involve effort, don't they? You know, it, the reality is it involves time and effort getting your business in in the state that it's ready to do any of these other ex- exit options that we've talked about. Absolutely, it does. Correct. Absolutely. That's, um, that's uh, why it is certainly a viable option. But then again, if you don't have physical assets that you can sell like that uh, as a, or uh, intellectual property assets that you can sell, then, you know, spending time to actually create value and grow the business uh, and make it uh, saleable is well worth investing mm. some time and effort in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, that is a fabulous rundown of those eight different Um, exit options. So just as a quick rehash, we talked about transferring ownership to family members. We talked about selling to other shareholders. We talked about selling to management or key employees. Um, We talked about selling to employees via employee share schemes or share ownership plans. We talked about selling to a third party. We talked about refinancing or recapitalising the business. We talked about IPOs and finally, if all else fails, we talked about what you're left with, which is probably liquidating the business. So um, thank you so much, Kerry, for that run through of, um, you know, of all of these options. Um, From your experience, which option um, are your clients gearing themselves up for most often? Most often it is actually to look for a third-party buyer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and look, and I guess people who are coming to you are the people um, probably um, that have uh, gotten themselves into the position where they feel that they they don't want to liquidate, they don't want these other options, they want value, they want to receive the value for the asset that they've built up over all of these years. So, um, you know, I guess that makes complete sense. And of course, you know, that um, that's also our experience here, but uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to hear what you 
your seeing from your side on the street and sell to third party still comes in as number one on the um, on the list of most used exit options, I think. Yes, it does. It does. Good. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Well, look, thank you so much for your time again, Kerry. Um, it's been very illuminating. And if people want to find out more about the services that you offer or to get themselves a copy of one of your two fabulous books that are all about exit strategies, where should they go? Simply go to my website, which is theexitstrategygroup.com.au and you'll find there at the on the top of the menu, there's a, a link that says books and you can certainly uh, order them. Both books themselves are complimentary. It's just postage and handling for the Million Dollar Payday book of $9.95. So, yep, theexitstrategygroup.com.au. Great. Wonderful. Thanks, Kerry. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 